Today's episode is brought to you by Essie. Have you ever felt lonely? The world has never been more connected by technology, but an overwhelming amount of people are struggling with extreme disconnection from others. Loneliness has been called an epidemic and a public health threat, and experts are finding that the always connected younger generation is feeling the most lonely. Our favorite nail polish brand, Essie, has made it their mission to help combat loneliness with the power of colors and connection through its Hands All In initiative. How else is Essie sparking joy? Through Hands All In, Essie is fostering meaningful connections at college campuses across the country through tailored workshops in partnership with Project Unlonely. If you're feeling lonely, you're not alone, and Essie is here to help. For more information, visit essie.com slash colors and connection. That's E-S-S-I-E dot com slash colors dash and dash connection. A quick note before we get into the episode, Oversharing is a podcast for entertainment purposes only. It is not a medical podcast and does not constitute medical or psychological advice. Always seek the advice of your physician or mental health professional. Hello and welcome back to Oversharing. I'm Jordana Abraham. And I'm Dr. Naomi Bernstein. And today we're doing a slightly different episode of the podcast than we usually do. Our favorite nail polish brand, Essie, has made it their mission to help combat loneliness with the power of colors and connection through their Hands All In initiative. So today we're going to discuss the topic of friendship and connection and why people may be feeling lonelier than ever. So Naomi, from a therapist's point of view, what do you usually see sort of coming around on this topic in particular? Well, I I do think that the pandemic has kind of changed the whole culture around loneliness and how people are connecting. There was a two-year period where people were doing only Zoom drinks and, you know, connecting with friends via social media. And I think that that has kind of perpetuated despite being, you know, more able to see people in person and do things in person where it's become kind of this habit of staying connected online. And it has its benefits, but it definitely also has its drawbacks for sure. I think a lot of times the connecting that people are doing online, and we talk a lot about here about like vulnerability. So the connecting that people are doing online is not really that vulnerable type of connection. It's more, um, I'm presenting an image and then I want you to comment about the image that I'm presenting or I'm sending you something funny, which is not bad, but it's not that deep vulnerable type of connection that I think we were having beforehand. And I think even sometimes when it is vulnerable, it's still kind of sort of curated. You see this on Instagram a little bit where sometimes you have a vulnerable moment that it looks like, but it almost seems to have like a message at the end that seems to be, you know, it's it's, you're over the hump and you're looking back or something like that. Totally. Or also on TikTok. I mean, I'm. I assume you're not super active on TikTok. I'm not avid, but I, I know <laughs> what it is, <laughs> and I've seen. And I've, but, seen uh, I've seen some stuff. So yeah, I'm in the loop. But I notice sometimes there's like videos of influencers or people who are big on TikTok, and they're crying on TikTok, and it's like the video of them crying, and I'm kind of like, you still have to film this. Almost, yeah. it almost seems by the act of displaying it to the world does still feel like it's not totally raw. It's not a a real super authentic thing. And I think we're all guilty of this in, in positive or negative news or things like that, where we are sharing this version, which we want to seem like, oh, I'm real. I'm who I am. But even just the act of putting it out there makes it totally. less real. 
almost like <laughs> once you see, once you have the picture in your mind of like, there's somebody filming this or you've set up your camera. Right. It's like, you can't unsee that in your mind, you know, like you've set up the camera and then started crying or somehow that it. Just, I, I get what you're saying. It does. Once you think about it from that perspective, it's hard to kind of see it any other way. So, right. I, you know, look, I think there's a, some value to that, to showing not everyone's okay, but, and I, you know, there are other ways to do it online if you really aren't you know in this place where you've gotten in the habit of not you know of doing a lot of things virtually like i run uh virtual group therapy and so i think that's kind of a great place to be able to be genuinely vulnerable like i'm not setting up a camera and then talking about how i feel there's these open mm-hmm. conversations that happen and people that are relating in real time to whatever it is that their struggles are and they meet every single week and they look forward to this time where yes it's all virtual and these are people that you're never going to meet in real life so it does also allow like an extra level of vulnerability in some ways because it's not somebody that you is going to talk to somebody else that you know or is going to be you know there's no gossip type stuff going through those circles so i think that's if there is a way to connect in a way that feels really vulnerable you know, online group therapy might be a great way for some people to do that. I think that's great because you also, in that sense, you get the commiseration of, because a lot of the times when you feel lonely or you feel insecure or you just feel bad about your situation, um, it can feel like you're the only one who feels that way and it yeah. feels like there's something wrong with you. And I think the idea of a group setting or a group therapy session, or any, a lot of people see this through, you know, that's that's the ways that, technology can be helpful for us. You're in this group of other people. They're commiserating with you. They're like, I feel that way too, or I've had this experience too. And I've come out on the other end of it, which yes. can feel either, either I've, uh, I've come out on the other end or I, here's my, what I've done that's worked for me. Maybe it could work for you. I think that's super helpful. And I don't know if you're in any Facebook groups. I feel like yeah, that's the, a similar vibe. Yeah, it's a little bit more like touchy, I think, because you don't right. see the person or hear the tone. And sometimes you see even like fights or disagreements or something be construed the wrong way. And sometimes I think those are not as good as a group, a virtual group therapy session. But sometimes it's like if you're going through an issue and then you see someone post about that issue, it can feel like, okay, I'm not alone in this. Yes. And that's, and I do think that the group therapy, the sessions that I run kind of are exactly that, but they take that aspect out of it where people can kind of hide behind their screens and like say something mean and like right. just and just like disappear or like sit back and watch the reactions where these are real people that meet each other every single week. So there's like a sense of like kindness and and accountability for how you're treating each other. Like we are really you know, a support group, a group of people that meet every single week and you look forward and you get to learn, know each other. And it's like a place where it's all about being vulnerable and it takes away that there's none of that. There's none of this like meanness. There is sometimes where people will give very honest feedback and ask a question that um, might have a person really have to look a little bit deeper into it, but it's always done with kindness and it's always done in a super empathic way. So it takes away that Facebook group thing of somebody just being in a bad mood and throwing something right. out there that doesn't come off very kind. 
What kind of topics do you talk about in these virtual group therapy sessions? So the group that I run is it's a relationships group. So basically anything interpersonal, very similar to probably a lot of what we talk about here. So whether it's dating relationships, marriage relationships, sibling relationships, parent work, boss, all it's it's basically all just like interpersonal um, struggles that people have. So it, it really runs the gamut. There is a decent amount of it. Actually, I mean, the more I think about it, it initially I thought it was going to be a lot of dating type stuff mm-hmm. or like romantic relationship stuff. But oftentimes there's a lot of, you know, content that's just about, um, you know, family stuff or work um, relationships. So it's, right. you know, and it's exactly what you said. It's really nice that people can relate to each other in that way and come and know every week I'm going to come to this place. I'm going to be heard. I'm going to be understood and and I'm going to be respected. Um, and what's your so, role in this group? So it's interesting because I think sometimes a lot of people really prefer the group over the individual because, you know, sometimes I'll give my little tidbits of, uh, you know, ways to change the way you think or think about things differently. Um, but a lot of times I feel like people like it better because they don't necessarily, you don't always want how to fix it or how to change. Sometimes you just want, I know what you're going through and I'm going to actually tell you that I know what I'm going through because I'm going to explain the whole story to you versus a therapist. It's not real. I'm not going to tell somebody my personal stories in a therapy session. It's about them. So this is a right. great place to do that. So I will give some guidance or if I feel like I have a good um, strategy or a way that you can conceptualize something, I'll give that. But most of it is just me making sure people have time to speak, me bringing up different topics, but it really kind of runs itself a lot of times, which it's just a testament to the fact that people really want to hear from other people besides me. Right. And they want to connect. I think that's a great thing to do or depending, I mean, it seems like it's good for all sorts of situations. How do, how does someone get involved in this kind of group? Yeah. So if anyone is interested in in joining the groups that I run, you can just send me an email at drnaomi at yahoo.com. So D-R-N-A-O-M-I at yahoo.com. And I have room in my groups and you can hop in. um, We'll excuse the Yahoo email address because you are (laughs) of a different generation. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't know how to switch. It just seems so Next time I, I see you, we're going to make a Gmail account. Yeah, but then everything has to, I have to go back and switch. You can everything. forward it. Sounds no, funny. you just have. Re- you think the Yahoo's bad. I already have a forwarding from my maiden name email to my new professional email that I did probably 15 years ago. So I'm still getting forwarded from that email. That's All fine. Right. It's automatic. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's neither. <laughs> <laughs> just for anyone listening who's like, um, I don't know if I can be part of something with a Yahoo email address. Um, right. Email Jordana. She'll forward it, it to me. If you yes. cannot bring yourself to type the letters <laughs> Yahoo. Um, yeah. Don't worry, it's safe. She's not going to steal all your (laughs) um, information. Uh, Uh, But yeah, so I think it's a great mechanism for combating loneliness and also, again, just connecting to other people who who are also... The other thing about that, which kind of remains unsaid, is that everyone there wants to be having this conversation and wants to be there and wants to be talking about those things. Whereas sometimes if it's like, you ever have a friend or a family member and they're they're texting you with like a really heavy, intense issue and you're kind of like, I'm in a meeting. 
Right. Um, or, right, right, or right. I'm not, or even forget that. Even if it's just, I'm kind of just trying to enjoy my Sunday. Like I'm just watching a movie. I just, I don't necessarily, I'm not in the mode to be doing this kind of thing. And on occasion you're some, the person's available, but it, you do kind of have to get lucky to find the person in the right state in the right frame of mind to be like, I'm ready to delve into this with you and have this conversation. What I love about this therapy group is everyone's coming there ready to have these kinds of conversations in the right mindset and in the right mode to do that. Totally. I And I'm glad you brought it up. I do think a lot, and something I see in my practice a lot, is people that are struggling, that are feeling lonely, that are feeling isolated, sometimes they feel if their friends are either not in that place or their friends are coping with being in that place in a way that is not like leaning into it or not wanting to talk about it, there is this feeling of like I'm burdening people. And so that can create more isolation where you don't want to send that text to your friend because exactly what you described, you're afraid that they're not going to be in the mood for it. Or sometimes, and we've talked about this on here, sometimes someone will say like, I'm sorry, I don't have the bandwidth to like have this conversation right now. And that feels really rejecting and really hard. You know, but it's Mm -hmm. it's also within that other person's kind of right to say, hey, I'm going through my own stuff. Like, I just can't be there for you in that way right now. But that is really hurtful and can lead people to just kind of be like, whoa, I'm never going to do that again. Like, I'm never going to put myself, my stuff out there. Or no one cares. Yeah. So having a group like this is a way, like exactly what you said, where you know everyone on Monday night at eight o'clock they're signing in to like have these conversations and they want to be there and they want to hear what you have to say. Um, so yeah, that's a huge part of it too, is that, that whole mystery of, is this the right time for someone? Are they capable of handling what I'm feeling right now is kind of taken out of it. So yeah. And you get, because I assume it's video, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You get to a, a different part. And I do think obviously, you know, we were just talking about technology and social media and even just texting makes it so easy to communicate with people, but it's not the same level to me of connection as seeing someone's face as them telling you about something they're going through and you see their, their facial expressions or their body kind of like their body language change around it. And that can really make you feel a lot more connected. I think there's a, there's um, it's very underrated form of, connection either facetime or just or in person or seeing someone you really do get more of a sense of what the person's going through than you would if someone's texting you about their feelings to me personally i i feel like i connect in a much deeper way that way right and i think the reason why and it's like what we talk about in terms of romantic relationships like you know that they're not multitasking when they're talking to you like Mm -hmm. if you're watching them you know that they're not like scrolling on their phone while they're messaging you or they're not watching TV, you know, or talking to you. They're not watching TV while they're texting you. Like they are, you're sharing a moment together. We are in this moment right. together. I'm looking at you. You're looking at me. We're, we're here in it, you know, doing the same thing at the, at the same time, which is that avenue for connection. It's the same reason why if you're talking to your partner about how you feel about something and they're looking at their phone or they're, you know, doing something else. It just kind of takes away the whole feeling of connection. So yeah, vi- the video helps because it, you know, and sometimes people will come on and like not have their camera on. And I'm always urging them, like, if you're going to be here, like, I'm like that annoying boss that tells you to turn <laughs> your camera on. But for that reason, I'm just like, if you're going to be here, it's really helpful if you can 
try to turn your camera on. Um, well, also because people don't really, I feel like it's so much harder to trust a black screen yes. a voice uh, speaking. Like you're not going to feel connected to that person. You're not going to be necessarily, I don't feel like I would feel comfortable speaking if everyone else was, you know, you could see that you want to feel trust seeing someone and seeing their face and seeing them totally. that they're not texting while you're speaking it right. makes you feel more trustworthy. We had that conversation the other day about um, sort of how introverts have fared during the pandemic. And um, I don't even remember we had this conversation kind of over text. Um, and that sometimes speaking of loneliness and pandemic and how it affects people, people that would describe themselves as introverts, I think have had an interesting journey through the pandemic where you sort of got permission for several years to just embrace your introvertedness and not mm -hmm. have to kind of expose yourself to the stressors of being social in person. And I think it really has, I always say avoidance is like fuel for anxiety. So the more you avoid something, the more the anxiety is going to build when you actually go out and do that thing. So I think, you know, speaking to loneliness, people who have had two years of kind of having permission to not go and even the lingering effects of like, Oh, I have a sniffle. Like it might be COVID. I can't go. Right. You know? Um, leaning into that. <laughs> yes. Leaning hard into, I don't know what you see in your kind of friend group with that or the people that you socialize. If you've noticed that the people who are kind of introverted to start with have sort of, uh, it's turned into a monster of some sort for people that tend to be introverted, that it really the loneliness aspect of that may be exacerbated. Yeah. I mean, I feel that with myself, not necessarily with loneliness, but just with a fear of, I've never liked meeting new people, new people. I think it's more for me with that new people. I have no problem going out and seeing my friends like I used to, but the idea of meeting someone new or going to a place mm -hmm. and socializing for, or hang, even going, I mean, honestly going into the office, I'm kind of like, I have to think of things to say to her. Like, how long do I have to speak to her? To, right, to, small talk is not yeah, probably your favorite thing. Right, and then I get anxious that I come off rude. Um, or because it, there has been a sense of increased efficiency in the working yes. from home era. Like, you start the Zoom, you start the the meeting, and then it's done. There's not a ton of, oh, like, I'm I'm getting, I'm refilling my water bottle in in the office, and then we're talking about a weekend or... You know, I have to think of questions to ask, even if I'm not in the mood, um, that kind of thing. Right. Totally. <laughs> so I think it probably makes it hard for people that are looking for new friends or people that are looking to branch out or, you know, are feeling lonely and looking, especially one, the introverts that don't feel comfortable with that anyway, but even people that are just looking to meet new people and make new connections, it can be hard when, like you said, there's this culture of efficiency where it's like nobody has room for the chit chat and the small talk. Right. And, you know, it's just like, oh, I thought, I, you know, and I've been in that position even with like, um, you know, just how you change, how you make friends throughout you as you go throughout the course of your life. So now I'm at the stage where I'm trying to make friends with the parents of my kids' friends. And Sometimes there's this thing where it's like, I'm in a rush. I'm coming to pick up my kid. I'm going to grab him. I'm going to go. I have to go to the soccer. I have to go to this. Right. And like somebody's like rushing and running around. And I'm kind of like, but I like, I thought we kind of had a good chat last time. And now you're like rushing. And 
there's no room to maybe bring Connect, it to the next yeah. level where we're going to exchange phone numbers or something like that, where we can have a hang because everybody's like busy and running and doing. So I think that that might be exacerbating this loneliness factor for some people too. No, I totally agree with that. And I think this, I mean, I think that brings us to another interesting topic, which is sort of the way that friends are made and maintained over the course of your lifetime. Because I mean, I remember in college, probably one of our brothers said to me, like, you're never going to spend as much time with your friends as you do in college. You live together, you go to school together, you go out together, you, right. there are your entire existence, really, I guess, unless you have a college boyfriend. Um, but it's just never a world where friendship is really the main driver of your whole yes. life. Yes. Really. It's a big adjustment when you come out of that. You know, I think a lot of people like after college feel super lost and just like the track is the track has ended. You go from kindergarten to first and then you go to middle school and then you go to high school and then you go to college and now it's like, okay, the track has ended. There's this whole big world out there. I don't live with my friends anymore. I have to like make friends in the wild and I don't really know how to do that or maintaining those old friendships on top of like my career track has ended, like my day-to-day track has ended. So it is a big adjustment in terms of how to move from living with your friends. And it's so easy at that point. Like you're just, you know, friends are bringing over friends and there's parties and then, mm-hmm. you know, to in your thirties um, or even in your mid to late twenties, there's, you have to actually put effort into it. Yeah. You know? And I think there's a lot more distract the older you get, the less of a priority friendship feels like because, you know, you're getting married or you're having kids. And um, a lot of those friendships that were, again, like the main relationships in your life are no longer a priority for some people. I mean, so for some people, st- for those who are not married or in relationships or have kids, those are still like the main friendships in their life. But for other people, it feels like you're being replaced with with other more quote unquote, important friendships. It's right. funny. I actually read this article, I think in the cut, and it was basically like sex in the city told me like that, like my friends and I would be doing this forever, but it's actually just me who's doing this forever. Like my <laughs> right. friend, like right. in sex in the city, they're all, they all, you know, they have dinner every week or they're talking about the guys they're with every week or even the one, totally. with, it's like the one who has the kid is the out is like, they're just kind of like trying to hide the kid. <laughs> Right. Um, right, right. But that's not, I don't think an act, I think a more accurate reflection is really one of the girls from Sex in the City yes. is there in her 30s and the rest are kind of married or, or they're hanging out, but it's a lot less frequent is probably totally. the more accurate portrayal of that. Yes, for sure. And I think it does, you know, give this impression that it's always going to stay the same and you're going to have your friend group, um, whether it's your college, you know, an adult friend group. And it's tough because even, you know, sometimes it's hard to bring work friendships out of work because there's like a line that you don't really want to cross or, you know, you don't want to have a friend that, you know, I think some people have a hard time mixing work friends with like personal friends almost. Mm -hmm. Um, And where else are you really going to meet people as an adult if not work, you know? So it's, it's not easy, but I do think one of the solutions is really prioritizing that. Like you said, you don't typically prioritize it because, and maybe you do get comfortable kind of 
being introverted and not having to go out into the world and not having to make new friends and put yourself in that uncomfortable position, like what you're describing, where you're like, okay, maybe I'm going to express the fact that I have a cough this time because like it's a situation with new people and I'm a little bit uncomfortable. And then everyone's going to be like, okay, if you have a cough, stay home. Like we don't need you here. And you're like, great. (laughs) Right. And it's an easy out versus you kind of, you know, pushing yourself a little bit. If you're feeling lonely, pushing yourself a little bit to say like, this is not going to be the most comfortable thing, but I'm going to do it anyway. And just really making a point, especially if you have an in and you're not going like into something just cold by yourself, like not knowing anybody. If a friend invites you to something with new people and you're a little bit uncomfortable, it's a great opportunity, you know, to to push yourself and say like, I'm just going to give myself a little bit of exposure therapy here. If I want to leave after an hour, I can leave after an hour. Yeah. And in that kind of exposure therapy, I actually feel like proves to you, you know, because everyone has an idea in their head that they think is is reality and the, na- and the narrative that they tell themselves that they think is reality. And the narrative, I'll give myself as a personal example. My narrative is I don't like speaking to people that are not my very close friends. I don't like small yes. talk. I am anxious around, um, you know, the fear of having to have a long, boring conversation with someone I don't like. And so that's just not for me. Yes. Right. And so you don't do it or you don't go to things. But it's funny. So I went on this the U Up tour. We went to six different cities and I would travel with a lot of the um the Betches U Up team. In 2019, we did this tour and I would really kind of go to bed after every show. Right. But this time, and maybe it's also because I was a little bit more anxious in my relationship or preoccupied with that. And this time I know I feel like married, settled, like good and and maybe a little bit more open to experimentation with my social surroundings <laughs> right when everyone everyone after usually goes out for like a drink or to drinks or to a bar and i was kind of like all right i'm gonna go i'll have a drink i'll have one drink right and then good i'll go home I'll put, yes. I'll put in some base time i'll put in <laughs> I'll have one drink and then it started you know we did six we did six shows in five six different cities and it started out with one drink okay and then i'm gonna go home and then as the, sh- the tour went on, I was like enjoying it more and more and right. having a better and better time because that fear or that story that I told myself was kind of, you don't like to do this. But then I did it and I had some fun, interesting conversations and I had a good time and I spoke to people that I wasn't necessarily getting to that sort of like intimate or interesting conversation with. And by the end of it, I, you know, I was having a great time doing that. I was looking right. forward to doing that after. So dancing on tables and uh, doing <laughs> body shots. <laughs> oh. Totally. Yeah. Um, um, no, I love it. I love yeah. the fact, I love what you said about like the story that you tell yourself about your own identity and kind of checking that. Like, is this the story that I just tell myself to keep myself comfortable so I don't have to do the thing that stresses me out. And I, I think it's great for people to kind of check in with what is, what's the identity story that you tell yourself that maybe end up keeping you isolated um, because you just don't want, you know, to have to deal with the anxiety that comes from social situations. I talk to a lot of patients that have, and I don't know if you have this, but have this pervasive fear of like, did I say something stupid? Like you said before, you have a, 
you know, kind of thoughts of like, did I come off rude? Or yeah. kind of like having this anxiety about how you're being perceived by others. I think that's super common and does does tend to um, make people avoid social situations because they're like, maybe it's fine when I'm in it, but then when I get home, I start ruminating about all the things that I might have said that were stupid or all the ways that people might be judging me or thinking about me or not liking me. So that's um, a pretty common thing that keeps people isolated too. I've definitely had that fear. And I think it's almost like a lot of it can be traced to what's a time in your past when someone said that you were that way and then you you took it and you, you ingrained it and you've, you adopted it as your identity when it was really just one experience that made, you know, made you, think that you were that way but you're no one is all of anything no one is ever most things are situational you know what i mean most people who are rude to you are having a bad day or most people are in a rush or um and i think there's a tendency to ingrain that trait into yourself and say that's who i am but most people i don't think are so rigid in their attributes that that's just you know who they are for sure we're all just I mean, and this helps with anxiety, depression, social anxiety, any of it. We are all just waves of emotion and thoughts and, you know, even the physical, you know, presence of you is a wave that comes and it goes. You're in that bar and then you're out of that bar. You're feeling anxious and then the anxiety passes. So um, even if you did say something stupid to somebody once, okay, that was a thing that happened. It's over. It's gone. And you can come back and just, even the idea of being able to accept that some people are not going to like you and that's okay. You don't like some people and that's fine too. You know? Um, So being able to forgive yourself or, you know, kind of calm that rumination after being in a social situation where you can say, Oh my God, I said that thing, or that was rude, or maybe I should have stayed a little longer and chatted. Maybe that person perceived me as X, Y, or Z. Then just kind of being like, okay, I was just being myself. I was doing the best I can. If somebody likes me, great. Um, if they don't, then that's okay. Yeah. Um, Agreed. And I mean, the only way, and I remember speaking about this with my therapist was he's like, the old, I can tell you a million times that you're going to like meet someone or you'll have fun on a date or you should go out or you should, you know, speak to new people or she's like, but the only way you're going to actually believe that is if you try it. Because if you have one negative experience, then you think you say all, all experiences will be like that. That's again, like that's a story you're telling yourself. And the only way to really disprove it in reality, like and you can intellectually say, okay, I know that's not true. But the only real way I think, and he was saying was to believe it, was to do it and see a different outcome. Totally. Yeah. Like if you didn't force yourself to go out for that drink, you'd be sitting there still being like, look, I just, this just isn't my thing. Right. I don't like, you know, I just don't like this. I'm not doing it. It's just not my thing. When you find yourself saying like, this just isn't my thing question that. What does that mean? Why isn't it your thing? Look a little deeper into that because this just isn't my thing is sometimes like this little safety cage that you put yourself in. So you don't have to push yourself out of your comfort zone. I totally agree. And like we were just talking about to bring this episode full circle, it is always really nice to see someone in person. And that usually makes you feel more connected when again, Anyone who in theory, you're like, we're not going to connect. We're going to have nothing to talk about. Once you see someone's face, once you see their body language, it's so much easier to do that. And I find 
you know, we've talked about this before, but getting a manicure with someone is such a great low lift way to connect with them because you oh. also know we're going, it's going to be an hour. The, the best way to test something is with, like you said, I said before, one drink. Let's go get a manicure. Right. That's an hour long experience. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I know exactly when it's going to be done. And so it feels less stressful or or fearful than this is an ongoing, never ending experience. Right. So beginning I, and yeah. end. Yeah. So I feel like getting a manicure with someone, and uh, this episode is brought to you by Essie, is such a great way to connect with someone, especially if you're kind of like dipping your toes in the pool of connection. Totally. You know? I love it. I just did the other weekend. I I bought my bottle of Fiji, which is my favorite Essie color, and I brought it with me to the nail salon because they don't they didn't have it. But um, I brought it with me, and I had a great time. Just kind of like you said, c- coming in, sitting next to somebody, talking, getting your nails done. The other thing I think along those lines that I actually found happened when I was at the nail salon is like you can kind of be like, oh wow, I love that color, or like sometimes I'm when I'm just out and about, I'll be like oh, what's your nail color? Like, this is my, you know, I'm always my Essie Fiji on the toes is like my intro. It's like a, like a pickup line. So like, I can kind of be like, oh my gosh, what's that color? It's so pretty or whatever. And it's just a way to kind of, if there's someone that you're interested in maybe having more conversation with, you can compliment their nail color and, you know, recommend your favorite and then maybe have more of a conversation, um, you know, from there. I love that. As a friendship pickup line, what is that color? Yeah, totally. Well, that's it for today's episode of Oversharing. Thanks again to our presenting sponsor, Essie. I think this was a great conversation. Don't forget to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple and Spotify. And if you're feeling lonely, you are not alone, and Essie is here to help. For more information, visit essie.com slash colors and connection. That's E-S-S-I-E dot com slash colors dash and dash connection. And if you've enjoyed this episode and want to show your appreciation for what Essie is doing, send us an email to oversharing at Betches.com. Or if you want to join uh, Dr. Naomi's group virtual sessions, you can email Dr. Naomi at yahoo.com. That's it. That's our time. Great work today. Oversharing is produced by Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales Pico, and Rebecca Salz McCann. Editing by Basilio Perez. Guest booking by Ali Friedlander. Send your advice emails to oversharing at betches.com or leave us a voicemail at 646 363 6294. Thanks again to our presenting sponsor, Essie. Through Hands All In, Essie is fostering meaningful connections at college campuses across the country. An Essie manicure with a friend is a great way to connect with someone meaningful to you. If you're feeling lonely, you're not alone. And Essie's here to help. For more information, visit essie.com slash colors and connection. That's E-S-S-I-E dot com slash colors dash and dash connection. Betches.